Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This morning I want to begin with some self-confession. Are you ready? Here it is. I don't like to wait. And I suspicion that many of you are like me. I don't like to wait in traffic. We have just recently been two times in California. Once we went with the staff and the elders out to the Shepherds Conference in the LA area. And then, as I said, I was just out there speaking at the Weekend to Remember in Ventura. And when you're in California and you're on the highways, you are going to wait. You're going to grind to a halt. And I just don't like that. I don't like waiting in bumper-to-bumper traffic. I don't like to wait. I I don't really like to wait for food in a restaurant. Now, I understand that when you order food, they have to do some preparation. But, you know, I have been in restaurants where I've ordered the food, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I turn to my wife, and I'll say something like, well, did they have to step out and and slaughter the the cow or the chicken that I ordered, whatever it may have been? It's like, what's going on here? I I don't like to wait. And one of the areas that I least like to wait is when I'm in the waiting room at the doctor's office. Now, over the years, Wildwood has had many wonderful physicians, and so I'm not referring to any of those. But I have gone to doctors and still go to doctors where, for example, I may have a 9 a.m. appointment, and I'm there 10 minutes early. And then I'm still sitting in the waiting room at 10 o'clock. I'm still sitting there. Now, occasionally there's been an emergency, and I understand that. But at least with one doctor I'm thinking of, it's just the norm. You're going to be sitting in the waiting room. And while you have to wait, no matter what the situation may be, it just seems like everything is proceeding in slow motion. Life is really seeming to be going on on a glacier-like speed. And you know, the most difficult place to wait, the most agonizing place to wait is when you're in the midst of hardship in your life and you're experiencing hardship. It's, It's just the most difficult time to have to wait. When you find yourself, if we could put it this way, in God's waiting room. And all of us spend time there in God's waiting room. And I don't know, maybe you're right there today in God's waiting room. Maybe you are, are just waiting as a couple to get pregnant. Uh, maybe you're waiting for a job. Maybe you're waiting for a solution to a chronic illness in your life. Maybe you're waiting to find a future mate. Maybe you're waiting for your spouse to change. Maybe you're just waiting to get through school. Maybe you're waiting for your kids to grow up. Oh, I wish they would grow up. Or maybe you're waiting for your kids to come to Christ. Maybe you are stuck at the end of life process with an aging parent. And no matter what the situation may be, when you find yourself in God's waiting room, things just seem like they're going in slow motion at glacier-like speed. Well, how do you find hope and perspective in the midst of hardship. How do you find hope and perspective when you are stuck in God's waiting room? Well, we can learn from Joseph. 
We have been involved in a series of messages we have entitled Hope Through Hardship Lessons from the Life of Joseph. And the title for today's message is God's Waiting Room. And I've been sharing with you a Bruce equation. It goes like this, P plus P plus P equals P equals H, which in Bruce's economy stands for God's promises, God's providence, and God's presence. When we focus on those things, it gives us perspective, and that perspective gives to us hope. Now, I would like to read a few verses this morning out of Genesis chapter 40, and then we're going to read a number of verses out of chapter 41. So I invite you to follow along in your Bible as I read. I want to begin with chapter 40 and verse 14. Now, here we have Joseph talking to the cupbearer who was in prison with him, who he had predicted would be released. And this is what Joseph says, verse 14. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. Then look at verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Chapter 41. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile, and lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile, and the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows, and then Pharaoh awoke. Verse 5, he fell asleep again and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good, and then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. And then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled, so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. He's basically going to confess something here to Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh was furious with his servants. That was the chief baker and the chief cupbearer. And he put me in confinements, confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. And we had a dream on the same night, he and I. And each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, a Hebrew youth was there with us, a, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related these dreams to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one, he interpreted according to each person's own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. And he, speaking of Pharaoh, restored me in my office. He's being respectful to Pharaoh here. But he, Pharaoh, hanged the chief baker. Verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. 
And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it, and I have heard it said about you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16, then Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, what we're going to see this morning is that while in God's waiting room, Joseph did at least three things. Number one, he rested in God's providence. This is what we're going to look at today. Number two, he refused to allow bitterness to sprout in his life. And then number three, he served God faithfully where he was. So those are the things we're going to look at today as we find encouragement for when we're in God's waiting room. The first thing that Joseph did is he rested in God's providence. And as we have seen, this is a recurring theme in the whole story of Joseph. Over and over again, we keep talking about it because it was so prominent in his life. Remember, he's going to say to his brothers when he gets reunited with them a little later on, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He was resting in God's providence. But that's an easy thing to say. When we talk about resting in God's providence, there are several things we need to remember. One is that God works mysteriously. He works mysteriously, especially when it comes to, why am I in God's waiting room? It's often a mysterious thing. And I want you to note that the hardships that Joseph is going through right up to the point of the beginning of chapter 41 have lasted for 13 years. This is not just a one week, a couple of month thing that he's gone through. From the whole beginning of when it started, 13 years have gone by. And in those 13 years, time did not fly. It doesn't fly when you've been thrown into an empty cistern in the desert and your brothers are talking about murdering you or selling you into slavery. Time just doesn't fly when you're there. It seems like every second is so slow. Time doesn't fly when you have to march 250 miles to Egypt in shackles. It just doesn't fly by. No, it's one step after the next. Time doesn't fly when there are days waiting in the slave market and you're going to be sold into slavery and you're wondering, what's going to happen to me? Time just moves slow motion there. Time doesn't fly when you have to make progress and build a reputation in Potiphar's house. You're in a place and you've never even heard Egyptian spoken and now you have to learn the language so that you can communicate with people. And then you have to show faithfulness over time and time doesn't fly when you're in that situation. Time doesn't fly when you spend days and months in prison. Everything goes by slowly. Time doesn't fly when you've had a promise from someone that they're going to mention you to Pharaoh, and two more years go by. Remember the gap between chapter 40 and 41, two full years 24 months, 104 weeks, 17,520 hours. And you have to know during all of these years, Joseph had to be saying and praying to God multiple times, God, please get me out of here. 
please let me out of your waiting room. And so when we talk about resting in God's providence, we, we need to understand that God works mysteriously. A lot of times we don't understand what he's doing. But here's the encouraging part. God works. God works. Even when we're in his waiting room, God is working. In John chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, my father is always at work. That's Jesus talking. My father is always at work. Some of the translations talk about how my father is at work. That verb in the original language is what's called a durative present tense. It means he's just constantly at work. Some translations put it this way, my father never stops working. He is always at work. And we may be, you know, waiting, stopped in traffic. We may be stuck in a hardship. We may be languishing in God's waiting room, but God is working continuously. He is never on vacation. He's never off sleeping somewhere. God works. And what's so encouraging is what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that he is for us. He is never against us even when hardship has come into our life. So we need to understand, as we talk about resting in God's providence, that God works mysteriously. There's a second thing we need to understand, and that is that God works differently than we expect. You remember the promise that God delivered to Joseph as part of the, the dreams that he had, and the promise was that Joseph would be prominent in his family. Now, what do you think Joseph thought? Well, I'm going to be experiencing that probably sometime next month. And at this point, we have 13 years have gone by. How, how, how am I going to experience, how am I going to experience prominence in my family when I've been betrayed by my brothers? They talked about killing me. How am I going to experience prominence in my family when I've been sold as a lowly slave? How am I going to experience God's promise of prominence in my family when I've, I have false accusation leveled against me? How am, I, how am I going to experience this promise of God when I've been imprisoned without cause? And, and how am I going to experience God's promise when there's been a broken promise by this dude, the cupbearer, and, and that's gone on for years? How am I going to experience God's promise when I'm stuck in a faraway land and my family doesn't even live in the same country? See, God works differently than we expect. And it's a principle that's taught to us in the New Testament. Jesus, talking to the disciples in John 13, 7, said this, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. What was he really saying? I am going to work differently than you expect. We see it in the Old Testament, Isaiah 55, 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, declares the Lord Yahweh God. Now, that's pretty blunt. God is basically saying that I work differently than you expect. I love this Vance Hapner quote. He said this, God marks across some of our days will explain later. It's so true. 
and he will interrupt our plans to achieve his superior plan. I mentioned that I was just speaking at the weekend to remember marriage getaway last weekend in Ventura. A month before that, I spoke at the weekend to remember in Napa, California. And I don't know if you've ever been to Napa, but Napa is really the wine capital of the United States of America. Uh, There are, in Napa, California, multiple hundreds of vineyards there. Now, Janet and I are not particularly wine people, but I thought, this is a great opportunity. I, I arranged so we could be there an extra day because I said, I want to learn something about vines and grape growing because I know that's a lot of imagery that Jesus used in the New Testament era. And I said, I could learn something from this. But, you know, there's hundreds of these vineyards, and so, like, where are we going to go? And there's this main highway that continues north out of Napa, and, and just all through that whole valley area, there's vineyards on all sides. And so, it's like, where are we going to go? Now, a number of years ago, my mother had given to me an empty wine bottle that had this as the, the, the name of the company, Hess Select. My last name is Hess, so she said, maybe you'd like this wine bottle because it has a Hess name on it. And I kept it around for a while, eventually gave it to my son because he, he's more creative, he and his wife, Brittany, on what to do with a, a wine bottle like that. But so we, we got to thinking about it. I wonder if Hess Select could be in Napa. And so we actually looked it up, and lo and behold, Hess Select is there. And so we decided, you know what, that's the vineyard we're going to go and visit. Now, what's interesting is, as I said, if you go up the main highway, there's vineyards on all sides as you go up the highway a number of miles, but Hess Select's in a different spot. It's totally off the beaten path. You have to take this small little road. It really becomes a little mountain road that winds around, little two-lane thing. Can't go very fast on it, 15, 20 miles an hour that leads to the Hess Select Vineyard, and that's where we ended up. It is up on the side of the mountain. And we learned a little of the history why we were there. Uh, A guy by the name of Donald Hess came from Switzerland, and he's the one who bought this land, which reminded him of Switzerland, and developed this vineyard that is there. And, And one of the cool things is when we walked in, there was a guy there who had been waiting for a scheduled tour And nobody showed up. So he said, I will personally take you around and tour you through the whole vineyard area. And he did that. Another thing they had that I thought was really cool is they had this theater room you could go. And they they showed you this video of the whole process of vineyards and planting and trimming and pruning and harvesting. And you just got the whole sense of what was going on. Now, here's, here's part of what I learned by going to Hess Select that the best grapes are grown on the mountain as opposed to the grapes that are still good that are grown in the valley. And the reason why the best grapes are found on the mountain is that the soil is more shallow there. And the vines get the full brunt of the elements on the mountain. And that stress that they undergo because of those elements produces better fruit. And then I learned this, that the best of the best come not only from the mountain, but they come from a season that had very difficult, severe conditions during that particular season. And when you have 
the fruit on the mountain, and there's a very difficult, severe condition season, it produces the fullest fruit, the richest fruit possible. And we need to remember that. It's maybe differently than we would tend to think. But some of us right now are on the mountain of adversity, and we're feeling the stress. But we need to remember that God works differently than maybe we expect. And that the best grapes come when there's stress. And the best of the best comes from when there are severe, difficult conditions. That's when you get the fullest and the richest fruit. So when we talk about resting in God's providence, we need to remember that God works mysteriously. We need to remember that God works differently than we expect. And then thirdly, we need to remember that God works slower than we hope. Slower than we hope. I mean, think about, think about Joseph in this situation. He helped the cupbearer. The cupbearer was free. He returned to his job and all the privileges and influence that he had. And what did Joseph do? He languished in prison for two years, waiting for this dude, this cupbearer, to fulfill his promise. It was a lot slower than he'd hoped. Thirteen years from the betrayal of his brothers to, well, he even makes it to Pharaoh's house. That was not what he expected at all. And by the way, there's going to be more years that pass before he even sees his family again. God works slower than we hope. You know, I graduated from Dallas Seminary in May of 1978, and knowing a lot of the people who worked in the placement department, I was virtually assured I would have a job um, by July 1st of 1978. And, and I interviewed with a number of churches and, and turned down several of them because I did not really feel like God was leading us there. What he was leading us into was a elongated journey in God's waiting room, which was different than I expected and certainly a lot slower than I had hoped. It was going to be a journey in the waiting room of God for about one year. And, uh, you know, we had um, a newborn, Rebecca, and we had timed it so when Rebecca was going to be born that my wife could no longer work, and so I had to provide for my family. And I I worked on a commercial uh, paint crew, uh, painting and cleaning up things to get them ready to paint. And every 30 days... Every 30 days, we went through this little cycle where we would be in a little bit of a crisis, like, what are we doing? Why are we here? Why did I spend four years in seminary? Why did I spend four years studying Greek? Why did I spend three years studying Hebrew? What in the world is going on? And then we would have this prayer time together, and then this peace of God would come on us, basically assuring us that God was at work. And God ultimately was working on me. And there's a, there's a couple of things I know he wanted to accomplish. For one, I had never been in an elongated trial really in my life. I'd had difficulties and hardship, but an elongated period, this is the first time I ever experienced it. And he wanted to teach me something about him. Uh, the second thing that really helped me with is as I, as I eventually got involved in, in church ministry, it enabled me to empathize 
more effectively with those who are having an elongated trial in their life because you can't really fully empathize until you've been through one. And it went on for me until July the 1st, 1979, when I came to Wildwood Community Church. God works slower than we hope. John J. Murray put it this way. He said, the plan of God is perfect. The plan is exhaustive. The plan is for my ultimate good. The plan is secret. God hides it from me until it happens. I discover it day by day as it unfolds. It's so true. The Old Testament saints believed it. In Psalm 130, verse 5, Psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. In the New Testament, Peter writes, 1 Peter 4, 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful God in doing what is right. You ever been in a, in a waiting room, a, a doctor's waiting room, and notice that they sometimes have signs on the wall? Do you know there's a sign on the wall of God's waiting room? You know what it says? Here's what it says. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46, 10. When you're in God's waiting room, the sign says, be still and know that I am God. Everything's on schedule, the way he planned it, not the way we hope for it to be. And all the setbacks that we're experiencing are really setups for what God wants to get accomplished. So Joseph rested in God's providence. If we're going to do that, we need to remember that God works mysteriously. God works differently than we expect. God works slower than we hope. The second thing that Joseph did is that he refused to allow bitterness to sprout in his life. I mean, stop about it and think, just think for a moment what he'd been through. He was betrayed by his brothers. They talked about killing him. They sold him as a slave. I mean, you want to talk about something to get bitter over. He was falsely accused of sexual assault. He didn't do anything. He got thrown into prison. He did nothing to deserve to be in prison at all. And then, you know, this little interaction with this cupbearer guy. Chapter 40, verse 14 again. Uh, Keep me in mind when it goes well with you, as I predicted, based on your dream, as God gave me the interpretation. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. And what happens? Verse 23. Yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. He'd given this prediction that the cupbearer, now the chief baker was going to be dead in a couple of days, but to the cupbearer, he says, you're going to be released. You're going to be restored in your position. And when you go there, I, I want you I want you to remember me. Now, what do you think the cupbearer said to him? 
I'm sure he said something like, absolutely, bro. I mean, so thankful for what you predicted through this dream that I had. You're going to be hearing back from me immediately. When I'm out of here, you will hear back from me. And then there was two years, 104 weeks, 17,250 hours how do, you think, how do you think Joseph responded when the, the cupbearer left? And he likely said to him, you're going to be hearing from me immediately. How do, how do you think Joseph responded? What do you think he did? I think he probably packed whatever little stuff he had together. And he just sort of, you know, sat on the bench waiting for the word to come. It's going to be coming any, any time now. Yeah, I'm getting out of here. And, 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 you know, the days started to add up, and, and he kept... He kept checking his voicemail, you know, maybe did I get the call? I mean, did I miss something here? Was there a text I overlooked? Uh, you know, checked his email, like, when am I going to hear? And this just keeps going on and on and on. Now, now why did the cupbearer forget Joseph? I, I, we don't really know. Maybe he, he felt like he was on such shaky ground with Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh the guy that he was sent to prison with, he ended up being executed. And maybe he was just thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm just on tentative ground here with Pharaoh. I, I, I think I'm not gonna risk bringing up some Hebrew guy. I don't know whether he thought that. I don't know whether he was just so exhilarated for the good fortune that happened in his life and he's now back in his, his very, very, very prominent position of influence and everything that goes with that. Maybe he just got so excited he was back, he just, he forgot. But, but I... I Think about this for a moment. Have you ever been in a situation when you were in God's waiting room, you're hoping, you're hoping to get out of God's waiting room, and then suddenly there's this door that appears, and it looks like God's provided a way, and, and, and then the door slams shut in your face. You ever had that kind of an experience? And you know what? If you have that kind of experience, thinking, where's the way out? Here it's coming, it's coming. Boom. No, it's really not coming. You know what the enemy wants to whisper in your ear? You know, you need to get pretty darn mad and resentful about that. You need to get bitter. Think about this cupbearer, dude. What kind of an idiot is he? I gave him his ticket out of this place. What a jerk. Or maybe you just get bitter at God. I can't believe, here I am in prison, I don't deserve to be in this prison, I was in this prison, I don't know how many months, and then he has an opportunity, a door to get out, and the door slams shut, and it's two more years that go by. It it had to feel to Joseph like there was no plan. And and no doubt there was a temptation that that came to him to, to say, you know, everything just seems to be random in my life, there's just no scheme or plan here at all. Maybe there's this temptation to get disillusioned, you know, to even ask yourself the question, does God really care about me in prison when I don't deserve to be here? You know, broken hopes are another tool in God's toolbox of spiritual development. And sometimes he chooses to use them in our life. You know, I don't really know. It doesn't tell us a lot here, but here's what I think Joseph believed. I believe that Joseph considered bitterness to be spiritual cancer. I I believe that Joseph believed that bitterness and resentment in our life would be self-destructive emotionally, physically, 
and yes, spiritually. And so, resting in God's providence, Joseph makes a choice to not be bitter. I want you to go back to uh, chapter 41 and look at verses 15 and 16. Just think about Joseph's response if he had been really bitter towards God. Verse 15, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I've had a dream. No one can interpret it. But I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, if Joseph was feeling bitter towards God, what would his response have been? Yeah, you better believe I can do this. (laughs) Let me step into this and just solve this problem. But that's not how he replies. Verse 16, this tells us a lot of his heart toward God. Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You know, all too often when we're in God's waiting room, you know what we have this tendency to do? We have this tendency if I could put it this way, to spiritually hyperventilate. You know, we we go into this panic mode. And we need to remember this perspective. When you're in God's waiting room and you can't press forward and you can't move sideward, we need to look upward. And that's what Joseph did. Keep your finger here and turn with me in the middle of your Bibles to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verses 7 to 9, and we want to read these verses. So Psalm 37, verse 7. And look at the instruction here from David, who spent time in God's waiting room. He says in verse 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Don't get resentful. Don't get bitter, we could say. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. For evildoers, verse 9, will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. So what did Joseph do when he found himself in God's waiting room? Well, number one, we said he rested in God's providence. When we do that, we need to remember that God works mysteriously. God works differently than we expect. God works slower than we hope. The second thing is he refused to allow bitterness to sprout in his life. The third thing that Joseph did in God's waiting room is he served God faithfully where he was. Now, remember the sign we said that hangs in God's waiting room? It says, what did we say? Be still and know that I am God. Now, it's possible to read that sign, be still and know that I am God, and think, well, that just means that while I'm stuck in the waiting room, that I just, I go passive, I go inactive. I I just go into coast mode. I I just become laid back and lazy and just sit around, you know, playing video games the whole time. I just do nothing. That's maybe the response we might have. That's not what what it's talking about. When it's talking about 
being still and knowing that he is God. It's talking about where our heart is. But that's not what Joseph did. He served God faithfully where he was. I mean, just think about his life. He is sold as a slave. Does he just sit back, give up, do nothing, go totally passive? No, he says, I'm a slave, but I'm going to faithfully serve God as a slave. He worked hard to learn the Egyptian language. If he hadn't mastered that language, he could never have proven himself and moved up in the ranks and taken over the whole household of Potiphar. When he was in prison, what did he do? Oh, I'm in prison. I guess I'll just sit here and waste away the day. No, he wanted to faithfully serve God when he was in prison. And he, he went to understand the prisoners and their minds and how they worked and, and studied people while he was there and sought to minister to people while he was there. And he proved himself again to the chief jailer and he ends up being in charge of the whole jail. And even, even as we see him moving out of prison here in chapter 41 and he's freed and he ends up in the house of Pharaoh, guess what? He's gonna do it all over again He's going to show how he wants to faithfully serve God exactly where he was. And you know, in those 12 months for Bruce, from May of 1978 till May of 1979, when I found out I was headed to Wildwood, what did I do? Did I just go passive? Did I go limp? I'm stuck here. I guess I'll just, you know, play video games all the time. No, what I was doing in, that, in those 12 months is I was praying. We prayed over and over again for God's direction. I focused on serving God as I was painting and, and, and prepping, you know, sanding surfaces, thinking, what in the world am I doing after all these years of training? But I wanted to faithfully serve God. I kept checking about the job opportunities that were out. I kept following up all the leads that I had. I was seeking to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit every week of my life. And now, with this coming July 1st, I will have been here 35 years. But the goal was to faithfully serve God where I was. So, are, are you in God's waiting room? You know, do you wish you could get out? Of course you want to get out. Well, meanwhile, while you are there, serve God faithfully where you are. And here's the guarantee I can give to you. He will honor it in your life. Because ultimately, God uses setbacks and hardships and troubles and tragedies to grow us and to glorify his name. So if you are in the midst of hardship right now, and if you're not now, you probably will be soon, when you are in God's waiting room, how do you find hope? Well, you find hope by resting in God's providence, refusing to allow bitterness to sprout, whether it's against God or against people, and by serving God faithfully where you are. Because the best fruit comes from where the soil is shallow and the full brunt of the elements hit. And the best of the best, the richest 
fullest, sweetest fruit develops in a season of difficult and severe conditions. God knows what he's doing. Let's pray together. Father, we just really want to thank you for Joseph and all the lessons we can learn from his life. So much to learn from a guy like this who went through more than probably any of us will ever go through in our life. And Father, this morning, especially for those of us who may be right now today in severe conditions, by the way, in the future, all of us will be there at some time. But for those of us who are right there today, we want to pray for them. That even though they're in your waiting room, you would allow them to trust you because you are the Lord of all creation. God, you are everything you've ever promised to be. And we want to give you praise. And we want to say publicly that all we need is you to the glory of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. What we want to do as we close now is to literally let God know where our heart is, to, to stand up and to worship him and let these words come from your heart to the heart of God and say, I want, I want to honor you, God, wherever I may be right now in my life.